Support for the Bid Picture podcast comes from Atlas.co. Atlas.co is the only map company that lets you add your custom route to your personalized map. The process is simple. Select your trip type and add your trip. Style your map, move, and edit your labels. Select your size and material type and submit your order. Pick from a selection of beautiful styles and colors that we're sure will fit any home or space. Add some text to make it truly yours. You can find out more in the links in the episode show notes. Support for the Bid Picture podcast comes from The Daily Upside. The Daily Upside is a business newsletter that covers the most important stories in business in a style that's engaging, insightful, and fun. Started by a former investment banker, The Daily Upside delivers quality insights and surfaces unique stories you won't read elsewhere. You can find out more in the links in the episode show notes. Hello, my name is Billy Mialogunde and you're listening to episode 193 of the Bid Picture podcast. On this episode, I'll talk about the rising trend of mental health crises among school-age children. Thank you for your time. Let's get to it. Part 1. Child psychologists and psychiatrists often have month-long wait lists. Mental health screenings for kids are expanding across the country. But as more children are identified as needing assistance, families can face a tough time getting help from resources that are already stretched thin. A mental health crisis among children and teens that had been brewing for years worsened as routines were disrupted during the pandemic and many kids faced isolation and loss. As a result, schools have added or expanded screenings for mental health or emotional well-being. Earlier in October, a panel of medical experts recommended that children and teens ages 8 to 18 be screened for anxiety disorders. That follows an earlier recommendation back in March this year from the American Academy of Pediatrics that pediatricians should screen adolescents ages 12 and older for suicide risk. Families are grappling to understand the new wave of assessment and what to do if a problem arises. Child psychologists and psychiatrists often have month-long wait lists. Many providers don't take insurance, leaving families on the hook for fees. And schools have limited resources to deal with mental health issues. According to the National Association of School Psychologists, on average, there is one school psychologist for every 1,200 K-12 students. Schools and doctors are trying to address the gap, of course. Some schools are adding therapy groups, teaching kids different ways to manage difficult feelings, or expanding training for mental health staff. Pediatricians coach families on habits that can improve mental health, such as getting enough sleep, exercising and eating healthy foods, or teaching patients emotional coping strategies. Mental health resources are incredibly limited, and experts say that the next challenge will be how to figure out what to do when they identify kids who are actually at risk. 
Some schools say they are only screening a subset of students for mental health issues because they know that they won't be able to meet the increased demand that these assessments will reveal. So last year, Medway Public Schools in Massachusetts decided to screen only chronically absent 7th and 8th graders for anxiety disorders since those are the years when anxiety among students rises. Students with moderate or severe anxiety were invited to enroll in a weekly group discussing coping methods. The groups are expanding this year to focus on helping children practice techniques to manage anxious thoughts and feelings. So as these screenings gain traction, families may see a range of approaches to how their children are evaluated. So whether in doctor's offices or schools, parents or teachers may complete questionnaires for younger children. On the other hand, older children and teens may answer questions themselves. At doctor's offices, questions about mood and behavior are often asked alongside queries about school and friends. If the answers indicate a problem in a specific area like depression or anxiety, the doctor will likely follow up with questions about those particular mental health conditions. At schools, some screen for specific problems like anxiety, suicidal thoughts and behaviors, or post-traumatic stress symptoms. Other schools use questionnaires that cover general social and emotional well-being. Children may be asked how connected they feel to their schools, how willing they are to keep trying when they face obstacles, and how optimistic they are. Some pediatricians teach patients brief techniques from cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, which is an effective treatment for anxiety and depression, such as relaxation exercises and ways to adjust the negative thoughts that can fuel distress. Pediatricians also treat children and teens with antidepressant medications such as Prozac and Lexapro. Some schools use screening to shape class-wide or school-wide lessons that teach skills such as decision-making and how to regulate emotions. Parents are informed of assessments in schools and they can often review the questions being asked and can also opt out. Parent groups in some districts have pushed back on mental health screening, expressing concerns about medical privacy and questioning the role of schools in students' mental health. Others welcome the measures. Some say it is good to detect if kids have emotional distress or anxiety. Sometimes it doesn't come out to the parent and the parent cannot see it. Fairfield Public Schools in Connecticut says its approach is not meant to identify mental health disorders, but is intended to measure skills including self-management and goal-directed behavior, according to a statement from a district official. Methuen Public Schools in Massachusetts began screening 5th through 12th graders for symptoms of post-traumatic stress last year adding to assessments already in place for anxiety and depression. John Croker, the district's director of school mental health and behavioral services, believes that screening and the subsequent interventions may have prevented more serious mental health issues. Mr. Croker said that about 38% of high school students had scores that indicated moderate or severe symptoms of post-traumatic stress. 
those students were invited to participate in therapy groups at school or received individual therapy from their school psychologists, counselors, and social workers. In addition, the district gave school mental health staff additional training in addressing trauma. Part 2. The idea is to make it harder to always have online drama accessible from their pockets. So a boarding school is conducting a social experiment, basically a smartphone ban for all students and faculty members. Buxton School is a 57-student high school in Williamstown in northwest Massachusetts, and the school had always prided itself on its close-knit community where family-style meals are eaten at round tables and students and teachers share in chores. But as smartphones became commonplace, faculty members say that sense of community gradually eroded. Students often looked down at screens during meals and even in class, where phones were prohibited. Teachers grew tired of being gadget police. Kids retreated to their rooms after class to scroll and text rather than gather in student lounges. When the COVID pandemic hit in 2020 and the school closed for a few months, classes went virtual and things got worse. So Mr. John Kalapos, Boxing's Associate Head of School, realized something needed to be done late last year after a student live-streamed a physical altercation. Watch on social media by many students, the fight became the talk of the school. So Mr. Kalapos and other administrators began discussing a ban. However, many students thought that the school wouldn't actually do it and that stripping phones from teens was unrealistic. But it happened. This fall, students were not permitted to have smartphones on campus and teachers agreed not to use them. Instead, they would all receive minimalist light phones for essential communication. The announcement resulted in chaos, everyone was crying, kids were yelling, even feedback from parents was mixed. Now, over three months in, students are getting used to life without social media and the drama of group texts, even if not all of them love it. Although it's a measure that other schools' administrators couldn't even dream of adopting, the lessons could be useful. So Emilio is a 16-year-old sophomore at Buxton. He said there are some things that are annoying about not having your phone, like watching videos. Still, he has gotten used to not being glued to his screen all the time. He added that it is nice to see other students walking around campus without looking down at their phones. B is an 18-year-old senior at Buxton, and she said it has been a relief. Now she can go on strolls or study without being bombarded by notifications and the pressure to respond to text messages. According to the teachers, they too have had to adjust. Adrian, who is a math teacher, said he used to have his smartphone on his desk while teaching, and there were moments of checking in with the outside world. Now, there is nothing that brings him out of the classroom while he's teaching. So the school is surveying students and teachers throughout the year to assess how the smartphone ban is going. In the first installment, which was conducted back in September, students said the ban hasn't been as bad as they feared. 
In addition, teachers said students are now more engaged in class. Students can still have tablets and smartwatches under certain circumstances. Digital cameras are also allowed. Every student can have laptops from which they are allowed to access social media. The idea, Mr. Kalapos says, was not to cut off students entirely from the outside world, but to make it harder to always have online drama accessible from their pockets. The school wanted to ensure that parents and students could still reach each other, so it supplied the light phones. The devices have basic call and text functionality, but no internet browsers, no cameras, no apps. Texting is designed to be clunky, and many students say it is slow and they don't bother texting more than a few words at a time. So the CEO of Lightphones, Kaiwei Tang, says most of the phone's users are young adults trying to be more intentional about their phone use. But he says parents are getting interested in light phones for their kids as well. Boxing is the first school with which the company has partnered. Light phones is lending the refurbished phones and the school is paying for the service. So the looming question is whether the boxing students will maintain healthier tech habits when they return home over the summer or when they head off to college. Experts say that tech holidays or digital fasts are very effective for restoring baseline mood, motivation, energy, and sleep, as well as decreasing the constant cravings to always check our devices. The effects can be lasting if people are motivated by the benefits of screen moderation or abstinence. More children and teens are struggling with mental health issues, and medical experts recommend screening children as young as 8 for anxiety disorders. In addition, social media and cyberbullying have been found to play a role in aggravating many mental health issues in teens, ranging from anxiety to eating disorders. For years, experts have encouraged schools to adopt similar bans. Frankly speaking, it is unrealistic and unfair to expect students to police themselves without help. So boxing school can pull this off because it's a relatively small boarding school. As a result, it can enforce rules even after class hours are over. Still, parents and administrators everywhere could hold it up as an example when trying to create more realistic policies to separate students from their smartphones. During a recent four-day weekend at home, students were given their smartphones for the trip. Many found it weird to have their smartphones back. Michelle, a mother who lives in a suburb of Atlanta, Georgia, said her 15-year-old son stayed with a friend during the long weekend and told her that he felt his smartphone had too many apps. He cut down four screens of apps and games down to two and said he felt good to get rid of them. Andrea, a 17-year-old senior at Buxton, says having her phone back felt illegal, like she was committing some kind of crime. Her iPhone 13 felt heavy compared with the little light phone, and she said she didn't use it much during her stay with her mom. She said that not having a phone at school this year has allowed her to make new friends and savor more moments of her senior year. She said she's a lot happier being on social media less and she thinks she has been a lot more self-aware, adding that she expects the benefits to carry on into her first year of college.
three, they told him it was a dry texter. Growing up means being left out sometimes, especially when friends splinter into new social groups during middle school and teenage years. With group chats and social media, kids can more easily see when they are not part of the cool crowd. So exclusion can result in hurt feelings, even when there's no malicious intent behind it. But educators, pediatricians, and researchers say online exclusion can be overt, particularly in group text or chats on whatever platform teens use to communicate and make plans, be it Apple's iMessage, Snapchat, Instagram, WhatsApp, or even Zoom. These experts say they've seen more of this since the pandemic as more of kids' lives shifted online. Digital exclusion can be more sinister than overt forms of bullying that involve teasing and threatening. So rather than sending a mean message, what teens are doing more now is excluding people, including by creating a parallel group to talk about one person without that person being in that group chat. That creates power dynamics that are physically invisible but socially potent. Schools have prioritized anti-bullying campaigns, so most kids now recognize what constitutes bullying. However, online exclusion is harder to discern, call out, and punish. Moreover, according to experts, the targets of this exclusion often feel ashamed about it. Being left out of a text chain or a group chat can freeze kids out of online conversations that help cement social bonds. Parents who want to help might not know about the group conversations in the first place or understand who's missing from them. And missing chats can lead to in-person exclusion because that's where kids now make plans. No child or adult will be included all the time. But when someone is intentionally being isolated, families can take steps to address it. So Joseph is a 16-year-old who lives in Los Angeles. He says he has been kept out of group chats and he remembers hearing friends talk about the fun they had had playing paintball over the weekend. And then he realized he hadn't been invited. Other times, he would see social media posts of parties that he didn't know about. Joseph says he has also been left out of playing video games with his friends. He would be ignored when he would message them about joining an ongoing game. So he recalls wondering if there was something socially wrong with him or if he's not good enough, or if he's not normal. Joseph says being excluded took a toll on his self-esteem. He says he knows that he can be socially awkward, even nerdy, and that other kids his age are better at communicating online. He added that people would tell him that he was a dry texter, that he would seem uninterested when he texted. Joseph, who noted that he had always had an easier time talking to older teens and adults than to people his own age, decided he had had enough of high school. So he finished early, enrolled in a community college, and he hopes to transfer to a four-year university in the fall of 2024. Even though he is hurt, he says he doesn't hold grudges against his classmates. Instead, he has come to embrace what makes him unique, even if it means not always fitting in. Of course, not everyone is so resilient. Back in June, researchers from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia released a study showing that cyberbullying, which is the type of bullying that happens on chat groups and social media platforms rather than on the playground, is associated with suicidal thoughts among adolescents who have been targets. 
The study's authors recommend doctors screen children for cyberbullying, just like they do for depression. Laurel is a 15-year-old high school sophomore in Westchester County in New York. She says exclusion from group chats became more apparent during the pandemic. She would sometimes have Zoom calls with friends after school, but noticed at other times that her friend's contact status indicated that they were on Zoom calls without her. And according to her, that makes it very easy to feel left out. She says bullying that doesn't involve insults can be explained away by the people doing it, which makes it difficult to flag to grown-ups. For example, if an adult gets wind of a group chat and asks kids why someone wasn't included, they can say it was an oversight. Kids who intentionally leave others out often don't come across as cruel, and interestingly, they are often liked by teachers. So at the end of Laurel's 8th grade year, students had to deliver a speech on something they felt passionate about. So she chose to talk about what she calls passive-aggressive bullying or under-the-radar bullying. When she surveyed her fellow 8th graders, most respondents said they had been bullied in a subtle way, while some said they had witnessed such treatment, but they hadn't stopped it. Exclusion can hurt even when it's part of normal childhood development and socializing. But when kids intentionally and repeatedly exclude someone from online groups to make that child feel bad, that can be considered cyberbullying. So experts suggest that parents help their children recognize whether they were left out due to changing friendship dynamics or whether they were actually being bullied by going through different scenarios with them. Parents can also ask their children how a true friend will treat them and suggest that they try to make friends with other people. Several anti-bullying organizations, including StopBullying.gov, which is managed by the United States Department of Health and Human Services, recommend teaching kids how to be upstanders by stopping or reporting bullying when they see it. For example, when teens notice that a friend has been left out of a group chat, they can ask why that person is missing and then suggest adding them. So Laurel from New York says when she has a hard time dealing with being excluded, she focuses on hobbies like chess and music. She said it lets her put energy into improving at something that she actually has control over. She has also made it a priority to be inclusive herself. So when she meets new people in a chess club, for example, she invites them to the club's group chat, of which every member is a part. According to her, the only way to combat bullying is by being nice. So to wrap up this episode, I talked about the rising trend of mental health crises among school-age children. So that's all I have for this episode 193 of the Bead Picture Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bid Picture Podcast is produced by Sunshine Media in association with Alowinly Productions. Fact checking by Zara Kuznetsova, audio engineer Sergey Gorski, graphic design Stacy Graham, senior producer Bidemi Ologunde, executive producers Olufolani Ologunde and Toby Loba Ologunde. 
please join me again on the next episode as I continue with a deep dive on cybersecurity's news, events, and incidents, and the lessons we can learn from them for robust cyber threat intelligence and awareness in our daily lives. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the Beat Picture Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Also, please share the show with anyone that you think might benefit from it. For questions, comments, or any suggestions, please send an email to bdme at thebeatpicture.com. You can also get in touch on Twitter at BeatPicture, on the Clubhouse app at Beat, as well as on the Wisdom app at BDME. Please remember to leave a review for the podcast if your platform allows you to do so. Thank you for your time. See you on the next episode. Bye for now.